Well, are y'all ready just to let out a big sigh of relief? We just about made it through another Christmas. Amen. Let me ask, how many of you still have another Christmas to go to? Okay, you can tell because they're the ones that are still a little tense. You know what I'm saying? Especially if the family getting together and all that goes into that. And and for the rest of us, you're right. There's just an atmosphere here this morning and everybody is just chilling. Oh my goodness. It's the end of a long year and it's coming off of the high of the holidays. And uh, it's good to just relax for a moment. You know, we, we love Christmas in, in our home and and it is something that we ramp up for every year. And some may look from the outside in and, and at our family and say we may, I don't know, at times overdo it a little bit at Christmas. And, and But it's just a chance. We just love family. We, we love giving gifts. Uh, both my wife and I, it's, it's very much our love language and, and giving of gifts and, 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 and all of that. But, you know, this year we had one of those instances and it happens every so often for us where as we were doing some shopping uh, leading up to Christmas we ordered a couple of things online and uh, I, I remember back earlier in December I remember we actually were laying in bed one evening and my wife had pulled up some things on the iPad and she had me order a, a couple of pair of shoes for Abby and uh, we ordered it online, and they were going to deliver, and they guaranteed to be here by the 23rd of December. So, there you go. No problem. Uh, we actually ordered it on the 13th. It was guaranteed on the 23rd. And uh, so we placed the order, and got a great deal on it, by the way. And then, as you get closer and closer to Christmas, you start playing the delivery waiting game. You know what I'm saying, where you go out to the front door and you check about three times a day and say, nope, and, and I don't even know if it's UPS or FedEx or, or the Postal Service, I don't know who's supposed to be delivering this package, but day after day we went and then you come in and say, oh, by the way, did, uh, did the package come? No, no, no package there, no package there, and, and as you get closer to Christmas, you know, the pressure kind of rises a little bit because especially with my wife because she likes everything to be fair so if you got another same number of presents for the number of kids and and whole bit and we're getting closer and no package and getting closer no package and well the moral of the story is nothing is guaranteed uh, today is the 29th and there's still been no package <laughs> Sorry, Abby. She knows what's coming. She doesn't know what they look like. We're hoping next week they finally get here. I, I did notice last Friday uh, on the news, UPS and FedEx both issued apologies that due to the high volume of packages as well as weather issues and stuff, there were a number of things that didn't get delivered on time. And I'm sure it will get here eventually. But it caused a lot of consternation and a whole lot of waiting in the midst. You know, if I could sum up 2013 for many in our body, it was a little bit like that, wasn't it? Uh, we've shared a little bit of staff even the last couple of weeks. It, it, it has been a hard year for, for many. And many are still 
in that waiting period, waiting for God to deliver. Well, that's the passage that we picked out for uh, this morning. It's Psalm 107. And I got to tell you, it's a, it's a passage that I've been just kind of meditating over in the last month. And, and it's because over and over we see that phrase that they cried out to God and God delivered them in their trouble. I invite you to turn your Bibles to Psalm 107. And if you don't have a Bible, the ushers are going to make their way down front and uh, just slip up your hand. Love to get you a Bible into your hands. But uh, we're going to look at the first 32 verses of this psalm. Now, you need to remember that the book of Psalms is or and was the song book for the nation of Israel. And that songbook was divided into five different sections, and Psalm 107 is the first psalm in the fifth section of the songbook. And so as we're working through this psalm, you're going to see it because it's clearly a song that was written, because you're going to, we're going to see a repeating chorus through it. And, and so we're going to kind of work through this passage, and, and I'm just going to kind of skip over a few sections there. We'll read them, but but then at the end, we're going to kind of pull it all together and, and bring some application, because this psalm is rich in hope and in encouragement, with some great practical application for what do we do in those times of hurting? What do we do in those times of trouble? Uh, psalm 107, we do not know... Uh, who the psalmist was who wrote this song, but we do know that it was inspired by God. We, we do not know the occasion for the psalm. We don't know when it was written and what the circumstances are, although as we work through it, you can see a, a lot of history of Israel that's being referenced in it. And I'm sure you can see even many Bible stories of the Old Testament that fit squarely in this psalm. But point number one we see is God is faithful and good Thank him. In the first three verses, we see God is faithful and good. So thank him. Verse one, it says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south. The psalmist starts off with the command, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. It's an imperative there. We are to be giving thanks. And we're to be giving thanks because of who God is. Because of the very character of God. And over and over we see in Psalms that theme that God is good. And I want to be very careful as we see that. Because that doesn't mean that everything that we go through is always good. Because scripture also makes it quite clear that a lot of times we go through tough times for a variety of reasons. One simply is that we live in a fallen, sin-cursed world that is waiting to be redeemed, and it will be redeemed one day. But until then, we are seeing the effects of sin. We're seeing the effects of the decay of sin, whether it be on the decay on human bodies, whether it be the decay and the creation that is around us. Some of the things that we go through in our life are because of um, sin in our life. There are consequences to sin that we've brought on ourselves. Other things that we go through life are, are what the Bible says are trials. 
And there are things in which God uses to grow us, to mature us, to shape us into what he wants us to be. But through it all, there is one thing consistent and constant, and that is the fact that God is good, even in the midst of that. For his steadfast love endures forever. Some of your translations may say because for his mercy or because for his everlasting kindness. That steadfast love is that consistent, faithful love of God. That we see here that it is eternal. It never changes. What God does is loving. Even at times when it hurts a little bit. But we know the very character of God. He is a, He is the God of love. He is a good God. He's also a righteous God and a holy God. It says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. The redeemed of the Lord. Literally, it's talking about let those whom have been redeemed, let those whom have been saved. And in the context of this psalm, really, it was talking about the nation of Israel, specifically in this passage, and saying those that had been delivered, and he's going to work through the different ways in which God had delivered them in the past. And let the redeemed, those that have been bought and delivered and saved, let them be the ones that speak up and say so. Is really what the psalmist is saying. And, and for us, the application, those whom have been saved, those who've been saved from our, from our sin, those who are believers in Christ and specifically in the psalm here, those in the Old Testament and the nation of Israel, let them be the ones, those whom have experienced the goodness of God, let them speak up. Is really what he's saying here. Whom he has redeemed from trouble, whom he has stepped in and delivered from the difficulties in which they were going through and gathered in from the lands from the east and west and north and south. And, 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 you know, I don't know if this is a reference here to, and maybe this Psalm was written after the Assyrian and Babylonian captivities when because of the sin of, of Israel and the sin of Judah, that God said, okay, I'm going to deal with that. I'm going to let these foreign captors come in and disperse you throughout the world for a, for a season. For a time. And then I'm going to gather everyone back in, back here in the nation of Israel. And as God has gathered and brought back in and saved, and even in that time of discipline for Israel, yet there was still that, that, that time in which God then brought them back in and redeems them. You know, we see, uh, literally, the, the command to give thanks because of who God is. Because of the character of God, who He is, and because of the actions of God, the things in which He does. Whether you've gone through uh, just a, 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 a great time of blessing in 2013, or whether you've gone through a difficult season in 2013, there is still so much for us to give thanks. So many ways and so many testimonies. I know this because I've heard from so many of you. In the midst of trials, yet God was at work. And there's so much to give thanks. Truly, I would say, at the heart of worship is thanksgiving. At the heart of worship is thanksgiving, praising God for who He is and what He's done. We've seen it here, haven't we? Even especially in the last couple of months. 
Probably for most of us here, none of us will forget November 17th. I say November 17th, and what do you think of? I think of one word, tornado. We were right here in this place, many of us here, just getting ready to start the 11 o'clock service. And in the midst of that tornado that came through and and caused so much devastation in this community, yet there's story after story after story of God at work. We see, we see so many times that, that, that how while God allowed some things to happen, yet He still protected so much, and specifically even this place alone, as we had a tornado headed right for this building. God is good. God is good. Many have still lost a lot and are still recovering, and it will be a number of months and maybe even years to recover from some of these things, yet in the midst of that, God is right there with us. God is working through. God is wrapping their arms around, just as we sang just earlier. We're safe in the arms of the Father. So let me ask you, how's your attitude of of thanksgiving? How is your attitude of thanksgiving? And I realize we've just come through thanksgiving and Christmas. So hopefully it should be a little easier at this time. But but as we move into 2014, as we get back to the realities of life and the stuff of life, how's your attitude of thanksgiving? If if I asked the people that were around you, would, would they say that you are a thankful person? Or do you at times struggle? And complain. And only see the problem and not see how God is working and all that God is doing. And how much we have to be thankful for. Number two. No matter the circumstances. Cry out to God and thank Him for His loving response. No matter the circumstances, cry out to God. And thank Him for His loving response. Now we're going to kind of work down through the next section. In verses 4 through 32, uh, we see four different circumstances. And the psalmist takes us through four different situations. And and, and I think four different references to to, to periods and times in the history of Israel that that God took them through. And, And so we're going to kind of walk through each of these four circumstances. But you're going to see some things in common in the midst of that. The the common is going to be that no matter what the circumstances, you're going to see the response was the same, and then God's answers were the same, and God's deliverance was the same. And so we're going to see a repeated chorus through that, and so we're going to kind of work through the situations, and then we're going to kind of sum it up at the end and say, okay, all of those common repeated chorus, what does that have for us to learn today? And so starting in verse 4, we see the first circumstance that we find ourselves in, and that's wandering. Letter A in your notes there is wandering. Verse 4. Some wander in in desert waste, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their souls faint within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. 
Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for the wondrous works to the children of men. For he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. So we see some wander in desert waste, finding no way to the city. We see this, and and, and Israel, this would have resounded so strongly with them. How many years did they wander in wilderness? Did they wander in the desert? And because of their lack of obedience and going into the promised land, where God said, for 40 years, I'll take you through the desert. And you're just going to kind of wander around until this generation dies off and your, 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 uh, and your, your following generation will be the ones that will go into the promised land. And they knew very well of that time of just wandering around, not even sure where to go. Not sure even where they were at at times. We see some descriptions there. We see hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. We see the loneliness of just being lost. They could not help themselves, nor could they find anyone who could help them, who could get them to where they were wanting to go. And it's at that point, it says, and then they cried out to the Lord. How about you? Can you relate to that? For many right here today, that may strike a loud chord in your life. And you say, you know what? That's exactly, I feel like I'm just lost. I'm not sure where I'm going. I'm not sure how to get there. I'm not sure what God's doing at all in the midst of this. And I feel like I'm just kind of bumbling my way through. And I'm hungry and I'm thirsty and I'm longing for answers. Well, we see God's answer in this. What does it say? He gives guidance and he satisfies the longing and hunger. Uh, Verse 7, and he led them by a straight way till they reached the city to dwell in. He gives them a plan and he says, this is the way to go. And he gets them to the destination. Then look at verse 9. For he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. God answers when they cry out to God. What does he do? He brings them to the, to the destination. And he, and he fills that hunger within them. He satisfies the hunger within them. You know, we... Uh, uh, we, we had uh, uh, a basketball tournament all this this week here. So Abby's a senior here, and so it's our last one for about six years between my daughters and playing ball and cheering and stuff. We've been kind of tied into the State Farm Classic here right after Christmas. And, and so we were there several different ball games in Bloomington Normal uh, throughout uh, uh, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, and... and uh, so we're sitting at a ball game on Friday, and there's different places in, where the games are, are at, and, and I'm sitting there uh, watching my daughter cheer, and the phone rang, and it was my other daughter. And I get the call, and I answer, and I say, hello, and I knew that Miranda was coming to uh, the game, was going to watch some of the game, and, and, and so here's what she says, Dad, I don't know where I'm going, Okay? Well, we're at, and I said the location we're at. I said, so where are you? I don't know. Okay. 
Here's what I want you to do. And I sent her the address of the location. Put this in your phone and let the GPS bring you. But I thought of that very short couple of sentences. I don't know where I'm going. And I don't know where I'm at. Does that sound descriptive? Probably we can all relate to that at times in our life. I don't know where I'm going. And I don't even know where I'm at right now. God's got answers in that. Secondly, we see the rebellious. Now, I said there's four different circumstances. The first and the last are situations that we find ourselves in, and they're not related to sin. The, the, the wandering, the loss, isn't necessarily because of sin, and the last one there, but, but a couple of them are circumstances that we get ourselves into, and clearly the rebellious here in verse 17. It's, it says, I'm, I'm sorry, in, uh, in verse 10, it says, Some sat in darkness in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons. For they had rebelled against the words of God and had spurned the counsel of the Most High. And so he bowed their hearts down with hard labor and they fell down with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and he burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men. For he shatters the doors of bronze and he cuts in two the bars of iron. So now we see those that have been rebellious. Those who are sitting in jail because of their rebellions. They're sitting in jail because of their disobedience. And literally it's, the idea is, is those that, and the times in our life when we say, I know what God says in this, but I shake my fist at God and say, but I'm going to do it my way. I know it's not right, but, and then you fill in whatever it is. I want to do what I want to do. And this, the consequence of their sin has led them into the description here of being in jail because of their sin. Not only that, it's interesting. What, what did God do? What does God do to the rebellious? It says he brings them low. Verse 12 So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor, and they fell down in none to help. God's response when we stand up and shake our fist to God, what does he do? He humbles us. He says, okay, we're going to start putting on the pressure a little bit. And while I stand up and, and, and wave my arm in pride, God then brings me low and humbles me. In the midst of that. And at that point, when they're sitting in jail, that's when they cry out to God in their distress. And he delivers them from their trouble. And so God answers in the midst of that. And what's the answer? Well, we see deliverance. We see the redemption from our sin. We see forgiveness from sin. But not only that, we see a jailbreak. God then breaks them out of jail and... And he brought them out of the darkness. Verse 16. For he shatters the doors of bronze and he cuts the two bars of iron. What is it saying? God breaks us out of jail. Is that an amazing thing? That even though we are sinners and unable to save ourselves and capable of being with a holy God because of our sin, yet Christ provided the way. 
Not only for salvation, but also even for our relationship and sanctification, for our walk with Christ. No matter where we are, we can cry out to God and we can ask forgiveness and He forgives. And He even helps us out of the consequences that we're in. Doesn't mean that it's overnight, doesn't mean that there aren't consequences. But even in the midst of that, he is right there with us, walking with us, providing comfort and hope in the midst of that. Let me ask you, when when you're faced with your sin, what's your natural inclination? For me, I I notice so often, the first thing I usually want to do is I want to pull back from God. I want to just kind of come back and I want to lick my wounds. I want to try to just kind of fix it myself. And I want to try to get it straight myself before I'm ready to come to God. And yet God says to do just the opposite. No matter what's going on, what does he say? Come. Come to me. Let me help you fix this. Don't try to do it on your own. Don't run from God. Run to God whether it be in our sin or whether it be in our suffering. The answer is the same. Run to God, not from God. Now let me ask you, what about you? Are you going through a time of humbling right now? Maybe there's been that something in your life where you know what God says, you know what is right, and yet in that area, you're, you just are shaking your fist at God and saying, but I'm going to do what I want to do. And then you're in that time of humbling where God says, okay, but those I love, I discipline. And I bring you down to get a hold of your heart. Maybe you can think back in 2013 and some times of chastening of discipline, of God. The third circumstance that we find is the foolish. This is not so much the open rebellious, but but, but really more the, I kind of call it the stuff of Proverbs, the foolishness that we see. In verse 17, it says, Some were fools through their sinful ways, and because of their iniquity suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food, and they drew near the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for the wondrous works of the children of men. Let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds in songs of joy. So now we see the foolish, and, and I said, this is the, the, the not so much the openly defiant, but yet it, it still is the sinful person. It's still the one who's still off of what God has and what God intends, but, um, but, but rather it's getting caught up in the, uh, the, the fleshly lusts, uh, in, in drunken, drunkenness, the gluttonous, passions, materialism, bad decisions, addictions. Really, I, I think the idea in a lot of this is just that kind of that habitual sin. The, the, the thing in your life that just keeps tripping you up. You know what I mean? Oh, it's just me, huh? I just keep, I don't want to do it, but I just keep falling back into 
whatever it is, in action or, or even in, in, in my thinking and, and those types of things. And, and say so they were fooled because of their sinful ways, because of their iniquities, they suffered affliction, they loathed any kind of food, and they drew near the gates of death. This is kind of the idea I think of this. I think of Thanksgiving or I think of Christmas meals. And you know what I mean as you prepare for the Thanksgiving meal. And so you go and you change your pants and put on sweatpants with elastic, right? And you sit down and you start to eat and you eat and you eat and you eat until you feel sick to your stomach and you see this great dessert and these wonderful things that are so good and you know that it is so good but you can't even stand to be near it because you're so sick from overeating. That's kind of the idea here where, where, where we see when God in Romans where He gives them over to their desires through the foolishness and the things that we have those habitual things that trip us up. It's, it's, it's the one who lives only for the moment. Oh, is who's living, uh, when, I'm, when I'm living only for what feels good in the moment. You know, it's interesting. What's God's response in that? What God's response is, He sends His word. Verse 20. And He sent out His word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. He sent out his word and healed them from their destruction. The answer, God says the answer of your foolishness is the word of God. Changing our thinking and changing our behavior to start living by principle instead of living by feeling is really the idea I think behind that. God calls us to that. So let me ask you, are you stuck in something right now that you're sick of it? You want to get rid of it. But you need God's help and deliverance for whatever that is. The fourth category that we see, and, and while the last two are, are definitely sin-related, we see now uh, um, the uh, fourth one here in verse 23. It says, those hurting from trials... It says, and some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. And they saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, and he lifted up the waves of the sea. And they mounted up to heaven and went down to the depths. And their courage melted away in their evil plight. And they reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wit's end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. And he made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for the wondrous works to the children of men. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people, and praise him in the assembly of the elders." So now we see those that they go down to the ship, they go down in the ship to the sea and they go out doing business. And they're just going through the normal avenues and, and situations of life and the storm comes up and, and there's, there's constant recognition of the fact that they have no control over the storm, but it is God who controls the storm. And we see that description that they go up and they go down and they go up 
and they go down to the point that, that it is so, the storm is throwing that boat around in such a way, it says that they're walking around like drunken men. You ever been on a boat in rough waters? I remember a number of years ago, my wife and I uh, were able to take a cruise and, and uh, they, we, we got into some really rough waters for a couple of days. And you know you're getting into rough waters when everywhere you go, there's these little bags hanging in the halls. You know what I'm saying? And, and I got to be honest with you, I don't get motion sick really at all. My wife, on the other hand, does. And, and so we would literally be walking down the hall like this at one point. And that's kind of the description that, that is, it, it's when we are so tossed around with whatever the circumstances are. Didn't do anything to bring in ourselves. Truly James 1 type trial. I count it all joy when I encounter various trials because of the testing of our faith. It's when God allows this in our life to grow us. We didn't bring it on ourselves. We wouldn't wish it upon ourselves or anyone else. But yet God's taking us through that storm. And God's got purpose and plan in the midst of that. What was their reaction? It says they were at their wits end. It said they were scared to death. Now let me ask you. Anybody at your wits end right now? Anybody at that time in your life where you realize you don't have any control of the circumstances? No control over the situation. You feel vulnerable. You feel helpless. And God says at this time, cry out to me. Watch me deliver you in the midst of this. And we see, what was it that God did the answer? Well, he calmed the seas and he delivered them to their destination. He calmed the seas And he delivered them to their destination. Verse 29, he made the storm be still and the waves of the sea were hushed. And they were glad that the waters were quiet and he brought them to their desired haven. God's got a plan. God's got purpose in the midst of whatever it is going on. You know, I don't know about you, but I was thinking through this. And so, so what is it? We see that, that, that repeated chorus. And so they cried out to God in their trouble. What is it that keeps me from turning to God? Here were some things that I came up with. There are six different things. There are more. These are six things that I find myself at times struggling with. Things that I do instead of turning to God. Number one, I ignore it. I, I, I just try to get busy doing other things and just pretend it isn't going on and hope it goes away. And that's called denial. Denial. And it usually doesn't last real long. Number two, I, I, I try to just pull in, I try to fix things myself quietly. Don't make a big deal about it, don't whatever. I just kind of pull back and I try to just start working and maneuvering and try to fix the situation on my own. I do it quietly. And it seems like the next one's kind of connected. When that doesn't seem to work, Then I try to take control of everything else around me. I can't control this, so I'm going to just try to be in control of everything else in my world around me. And that one sometimes is not quite so quiet. That one starts to affect other people as well. That's kind of a little more loud in that. Number four, sometimes I cast blame. 
I, I try to figure out who to blame for it and I try to pass the buck. I try to, to and sometimes we'll lash out at others. I'm hurting and so I try to say, well, it's your fault, it's your fault, it's your fault. As if that's going to help the situation anyway. Number five, I worry. I fret. I, I can't do anything else so I'll just keep myself up all night and turn my stomach into knots worrying about the situation. The sixth thing that I do and kind of the last one in the series is then I get to hopelessness. And at times then I wallow. (laughs) And, And I have a pity party and I go into the woe is me situation. Well, it's interesting, instead of that, what should be our response? And we see that in verses 6 and 13 and 19 and, and, and 28. And it's the same repeated words here. It says, and then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. And they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. Then and only then, only when the pain was so great, whatever those circumstances was, it was at that point that they cried to the Lord. And what does it say? He heard them and he delivered them. He delivers. And when we see the deliverance of God, we also see our response should always be the same. And what's that? Thanksgiving. Verses 8, 15, 21, and 31. It says, and let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love for the wondrous works to the children of men. In kind of the ending of this section in verse 23, it says, let them extol the congregation of people in the assembly of the elders. Literally, it's saying we should be praising God for the deliverance that we see. And we should be telling everybody, look what God's done. There's been a lot of pain over this past year. But there's been a whole lot of God at work moments. Amen? We have so much to praise God for. And as we look and we see over and over God at work and God delivering in these different circumstances, it should bring us hope that no matter what we're going through, no matter the pain that we're in in the moment, God delivers. And God will deliver. So how is it? How do we cry out to God? Here's, here's a four-step plan. Four-step plan that we see in this passage. Number one. Number one. What do I do when I'm hurting? Number one, cry out to God. Open, humble, sincere. Stop controlling what's going on. Go to prayer. Cry out to God. We see that phrase, cry out to God. And there's a sense of, there's emotion behind that, isn't it? There, there's the, I can't do anything else but cry out. There's angst in that. And, and I say it uh, this way, kind of, there, there's an action of cry out to God. And, and I kind of associate a posture with it. Cry out to God. It's getting on our knees. Number two, trust God and wait on him. Number two is to trust God and wait on Him. By the way, there are a couple other verses there crying out to God. Matthew eleven twenty eight, James four seven, Philippians four six. Trusting God and waiting on Him, we see a couple of verses there. Psalm twenty eight seven and Psalm thirty seven five. If crying out to God is getting on our knees, 
then trusting God is opening up our hands. Having open hands and saying, Lord, I don't know what's going on right now, but I'm going to trust you in the midst of it. I'm going to take whatever it is that I, I have that tendency of just hanging on so tightly to, and I'm going to open up my hands and say, it's yours. And I'm just going to wait for you to work. I'm going to just continue to review the character of God and who you are and just play that over and over in my mind of what I know about who God is. And I'm going to just keep reminding myself of all the ways in which God has worked in the past. And I'm going to just keep praising you in the midst of this storm. Number three, it's watch God work. Watch God work. Psalm 46, 10. Be still know that I'm God. See God at work. If on your knees, cry out to God, open your hands, trust God, watch God work is to open your eyes and start looking around and saying, yeah, we're going through a tough time in this and this. I don't know what the answer to this situation is, but I see God at work in so many other ways. And I know that God will also work in this as well. When we start looking around for where God is at work. And then number four, praise God. Celebrate and share what God has done. Celebrate and share. The posture here, open your mouth. Start telling of the goodness of God. As God does do deliver, start sharing it. Praising Him and telling others. Cry out to God. Trust God. And wait. See God at work. And then give him the praise for it. The last one there, First Thessalonians 5.18. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God, Christ Jesus. In everything, give thanks. About uh, seven years ago, I mentioned it a couple of years ago in a message, but about seven years ago, I, I had uh, reconstructive surgery on my ankle. It was uh, the outside bone of my leg I had broken 20 years before that and literally had walked on a broken leg for 20 years. Who knew? I don't know. And there was some problems. And the doctor always said, eventually you're going to have to get this fixed when you can't do what you want to be doing. And I got to that point, And so I went up to Chicago and they, they took out, went in for surgery and they, they took out the, uh, the broken part of the bone. They drilled through my ankle. They took a tendon up through, screwed it into my heel. They scoped the front part, took out the arthritis. And it was a pretty in-depth surgery. Well, before that surgery, I mean, they knocked me out. Praise the Lord for good drugs and unconsciousness in the midst of that. But one of the other things they did is they put a popliteal block. They went right behind my knee. And, and what it did is it just, I felt nothing from the knee down. And they said that will last for 18 to 24 hours. So had the surgery up in Chicago. Tiffany was with me. I, I remember waking up after the surgery, of course, being all bandaged up and everything. I, I, I vaguely remember hobbling into the car, getting into the back seat as Tiffany then drove me the three hours back down here from Chicago but I'll tell you what, other than a little bit of reaction to the anesthetic, I was actually good, pretty good. I wasn't feeling a thing. Until. 5 a.m. the next morning. 
And, and, and I remember, by the way, it was exactly 18 hours <laughs> after the surgery, after that had been given to me. And I'm laying there and, and I'd already taken pain medication. And uh, they had prescribed, it was actually the maximum dosage of that medication that they will give anybody. And I remember at 5 a.m. waking up, already on the pain meds, but I woke up in the most pain I've ever experienced in my life. And so here I am laying in my bed with my leg up, immobilized, and just excruciating pain. (laughs) And there was nothing I could do about it but moan and cry out. And my wife got on the phone. We got some medication and some additional medication, a different thing than which they kind of doubled up. And then about four or five hours later, the pain came down. But for that period of time, I laid there and in pain. And all I could do was cry out and wait for deliverance. Psalm 107. It's what God's saying. Maybe you are in that. I don't know what the circumstance that you're in. Which of those categories you're in? Are you the wanderer? Are you lost? Are you the disobedient? Maybe you're being humbled right now. Maybe you're the fool. And we're just living for the emotion in the moment. Or maybe you didn't do anything at all to bring this on yourself, but you're just going through a storm of life. The answer is the same though. Cry out to God. Trust that He will deliver. Wait on Him. See Him at work. And then lift up your praise in all that you do. Let's pray.